0: Welcome to the Fat-Tailed Thoughts podcast. I'm your co-host, Stephen Dickens, and I'm joined as always by my dear friend, Jared Klee. Hey, Jared, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, Stephen.
0: Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. So in the spirit of all things predictions, end of year, looking ahead, we thought we'd jump on that bandwagon and really sort of just go for clickbait with our title um, of today's podcast. So no newsletter to uh, support this. Uh, Jared and I have picked our top 10 mega trends for 2022 and we're just going to give our brief opinions on those trends. So we've got a lot to cover. We never keep this to 30 minutes.
1: But, but before we jump in, Stephen, I do like that you're holding on to Christmas with the, the stocking hanging over the window there.
0: So in a South American family, my, with my wife, not me, as you can probably tell for anybody looking on YouTube or with this accent... We have to keep it for the three kings, which is a little couple of days' time, so we can't the take you them know. down. So yes, all the traditions are covered in the Dickens household.
1: We 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 just have to keep ours until there are no uh, needles left on the tree, but I'm not entirely sure why.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, happy wife, happy life. That's the motto I live by. So let's no more ado. We've got a lot to cover. Let's get straight into it. First trend we're going to talk about, and I know this is one of your favourites, the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try and hold back the sort of the gag reflex. So, what's your thoughts? Lots of press coverage. Obviously, Facebook leading the charge with their rebrand, uh, changing to Meta. Personal perspective here, just to give you some, give you something to aim at. I think we're where the internet was in the year 2000. I think crypto and NFTs are getting all the press. I think it's a lot wider than that. You know, this is not ready player one um, and some VR glasses. I think it's wider than that. I think the breadth of this is like thinking about where the internet was in 2000 and thinking it's just gonna be online retail. That's my view. Where's your, I know you're less of a metaverse fan, so Jump, where's your perspective? Jumping
1: at the bit here. We're, we are so early, Stephen. We are mm-hmm. so early. And, and the, the talk of the metaverse, and, and regardless of how we interpret this, whether it's it's the, the Facebook Oculus vision of, of 3D uh, immersive experiences, whether we want to talk the Pokemon Go, the augmented reality experience, whether we want to layer in these kind of novel types of assets, NFTs, other types of digital assets, the retail experience around that, the novel payment stuff. We are so, so, so early. And and where where I gauge that from, Stephen, is, is my parents are, they're not digital natives by any means, but they generally try and keep up with what's going on. And these are folks who, for the most part, can't, Dogecoin is not something that's on their radar. The ability, just the basic user experience of what it means to have a crypto wallet or to use any of these in any way, it's so totally foreign. And right now, it's a massive hurdle to adoption, never mind regulatory and whatnot that we could talk about. So to me, when, when what I would think of is, as intelligent everyday people have a user adoption hurdle so large that they simply write off the entire space. Yeah, I just don't think we're there yet. I I
0: think you hit on a really key point for me. I set up a MetaMask wallet the other day. It was ridiculously complex. I had to watch multiple YouTube videos. I set up two by mistake. And that's one of the more popular wallets that's apparently very easy to set up. I set up an Oculus wallet that had a good UI. I've got to admit, for a, for a sort of a cold storage wallet, I think twenty twenty two, the the rush. If you're a UI designer, I think crypto's the space to be looking at. That that part of the market's going to explode. So I've got to keep us on topic and keep us on time. Yeah. Here, so my a- my
1: short summary on the metaverse: lots of marketing, very low realized, unless. You are kind of at the the forefront of the curve, in which case I think the funkiness, the excitingness, it's 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 1992, 93 of the internet, where you're still one of the first. Yeah, I think it's it, it's absolutely going to go gangbusters. But for the ordinary person, psh, a couple of years off at least.
0: Yeah, I would completely agree. Topic number two, we covered it in a two part series. Um, In our previous two episodes, uh, so we're episode 10, so if you want to check this out, episode 9 and episode 8, was inflation. So thoughts, obviously some big trending numbers um, at the end of last year. Where do you see inflation for this year?
1: I'm still... I'm still working on getting myself a coin-flipping monkey. So, so I'm not particularly... <laughs> Santa didn't bring you a coin-flipping no, monkey. I'm a little disappointed, but... Stephen. Um, I asked, I tried.
0: Uh, so you not going to make like, a
1: prediction you didn't get the monkey? That's the problem here. No, I, it, realistically, I know. Mean, let's just talk about the drivers for a second. Um, we, we have a massive demand bump that happened. It turns out when you hand out money to lots and lots and lots of people, as expected, that starts to get spent. Um, we've seen, uh, especially in the U.S., we've seen the savings rate start to normalize a lot of that money previously when we were all locked up. We couldn't spend that money. It simply got put into savings. We're starting to see that get spent. So never mind the, the supply chain problems, which are continue to work themselves out. We continue to have this demand, massive demand bump that we're working our way through that will continue to take time to normalize. Now, what's offsetting that is the Fed and whatnot uh, are raising and and their equivalents around the world are raising interest rates and starting to tamper that. But that's gonna that will be threading a needle. So I have the the their track record over a long period of time is superb. I full faith and confidence in the Fed to bring that back down to normal. Yes, it will take a couple of quarters um, to do so back to our target to two and a half percent a year inflation.
0: Fantastic, I think. We've got some structural issues. The money printing, you know, build back better. Is that is that going to re reappear in a couple of months' time with a new new tagline? Don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting to see the way the money printing and some of the under structural M two money supply goes. And we're playing that exp- experiment in real time. So I, I think will be i th- i think we'll be covering inflation again in 2022 as a topic topic number 3 we've got here globalization lots of worrying news and build up of troops on the border of ukraine ongoing tensions in the taiwan strait what's your view from that broadest macro lens around globalization jared
1: So to me, globalization over any reasonable stretch of time has been a one-way train. Um, We've continued to increasingly uh, engage in trade across the entire world, and that's true for almost every country. And that has been one of the major drivers of lifting wealth across the entire globe for going on, uh, what, 70 years now or so since uh, World War II. It's been a tremendous boom for the world. The flip side is we are starting to see cracks in that system and ignore the, the kind of intermediate uh, tensions, for instance. What we're recognizing is that in the case of something like COVID, lack of access to supply, especially for parts that we take for granted, can meaningfully disrupt things. We, we, this, the concept of just-in-time inventory, while very powerful, also makes the, the production more fragile. So for certain types of production, we've seen Tesla do this in particular. They brought almost everything in-house that they can down to the, the aluminum manufacturing. There are going to be specific parts of the supply chain that are deemed nationally critical and will be brought back domestically, even though the costs are higher. For almost everything else, COVID is going to continue to be treated as, as the one the 1,000-year the storm and we're going to go back to normal. We're going to continue to see trade pick up and so on. Well, that gives us a great segue segue into topic um, number four
0: here on our list, um, which is semiconductors. That's been a tension point specifically around supply chain issues. We've seen that impact supply of cars and things you wouldn't think of having semiconductors kind of at the forefront. I don't think people, when they think of, you know, options they're picking when they're picking their new SUV. Oh yes, that means more. Some semiconductors are going to be in the car. So I mean, my boss is probably the leading expert on this space, Daniel Newman, been sort of covered extensively here. But what's your view, Jared? What are you what are you seeing in the semiconductor space?
1: We're we're seeing dynamics we haven't seen before, Stephen. Um, and that's that's going to be very interesting. A um, cu- couple different things before we come to a conclusion on it. Um, one, we're seeing demand across the entire, uh, across the entire breadth of semiconductor offerings. Historically, we've seen massive demand up front for whatever the new cutting edge uh, semiconductors is. And then we've had fairly predictable demand for the long tail of yester years, uh, models less uh, uh, less transistors less power etc. What's happening now, which is bit uh, which is rather unusual, we're seeing increased demand for those more commoditized semiconductors. Now think about the production cycles here. What you used to do was you used to build a plant to create whatever the cutting edge was, and then you would hand off. If you're if you're out in Taiwan, you want hundred percent. Of whatever this year's cutting edge production is, you hand off the more commoditized components to get fought over by the other producers across the globe. And there's a long tail of those. Those producers now are having to build factories in order to create more semiconductors for stuff that's five years, six years, seven years old. We've never seen that kind of dynamic in this market. That gets compounded by the fact that the lead time for creating a new fab is measured in years. I mean, the fastest globally is about 18 months. In the US, it's closer to 24 months, a full two years. Taiwan, similarly, it's a full two years. So the lead time to alleviate the, the demand pressures across that whole chain is enormous. Now, the, where this- state- you, tweeted,
0: you tweeted a really good sort of breakdown of that. Time to build out fabs. We'll link that in the show notes. I thought that was really insightful. I see Samsung investing 17 billion to build a fab in Texas. That's fantastic news story. But your point is, it's going to take at least two years for that once they break ground for that to come on board.
1: And and just so just so the, the, the listeners don't don't miss the point, production's up this year by double digit percentages, and we're still hitting those supply constraints. And this isn't shipping and it's stuck on a ship. This is simply we don't have the capacity in the in the manufacturing to meet the rising demand across that whole chain. It's it's a wild story that will take more than a year to work out,
0: Steve. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's a, a really good space to be tracking, trying to keep us on time here. Number five, nuclear energy.
1: Oh, I'm excited about this one.
0: So I I heard something, and I'll give you this as a lead-in. China's building 30 nuclear power plants over the next few years. The U.S. is building two. Is this China trying to pivot to a clean energy um, uh, posture? They take a very strategic view on things like this. But I, I'm watching this space. I know a lot of people see nuclear energy as our path out of this. Obviously, lots of issues, lots of sort of sentiment around nuclear energy. Where's your view?
1: So, so the U.S. for the first time in, in many, many years, Stephen, is meaningfully investing in nuclear energy. Talk two different things here domestically, and then we'll look to the global sphere. And, and China absolutely is becoming a major player here. In the U.S. domestically, has, what we've had historically are these massive nuclear plants. And that's when you hear the, the, the uh, Five Mile Meltdown or Seven Mile Island meltdown and such. That's the type of stories you hear. What we're now investing in are much smaller scale nuclear energy plants. Now, to be clear, the energy plants we have today is built on technology from the 50s and 60s, just post World War II. Basically, we never invested in new technology because of the regulatory hurdles and the amount of capital that needed to be spent and nuclear fell out of favor. Thanks to the lights of especially Bill Gates and a number of others with the Gates Foundation, we, are, we have meaningfully invested in more modern technologies that have a much lower risk profile, one, but two, you can create much smaller nuclear plants. So in the, one, in the event there's a problem, It won't be as catastrophic. Two, you can put them in many more locations, which reduces terrorist and related threats. Three, they become much cheaper to build on a per energy production basis. That is a fantastic story. And we just had the first couple, it's going to take 18 plus months to build, but we just had the first two uh, actually out of the the, uh, government funding uh, has allocated meaningful dollars to it, a private-public partnership around this. Um, it'll take, I forget what the numbers are, 24-plus months to come online. Parallel to that, we just saw the first massive funding round for nuclear fusion, meaning combining as opposed to breaking apart. Now, that has never been proven to produce more energy than it consumes. But in part, the challenge of that, Stephen, is we've never invested the money to push the research along to get it to where it could be promising. So we're just saw a massive couple hundred million dollar round into a startup that uh, spun out of MIT and whatnot that's making real progress. Now, while the US is picking up, the global is not sitting still. China has been out ahead on this journey for years. Um, Actually, if you uh, Bill Gates talks about how he tried to launch a partnership there. Uh, to launch a number of these uh, uh, nuclear, the smaller nuclear energy facilities. It got shut down during the Trump administration because of the tensions between the countries. But China is now continuing on ahead on its own. While in Europe, we have Germany decommissioning. We have France. It's going to be a very interesting dynamic. So from where I stand, if I look five years ahead, I have no question we're going to see more nuclear energy brought online than we do today but given where we are in that curve right now it's it's basically a time to build stephen
0: yeah i think that's going to be an interesting space as some of these climate pledges start to get two three four five years out and they're not 2030 2040 2060 I think we're going to see more pressure in that space. Keeping it, it, us rolling. Yeah, keeping it, it, us it, ro- it,
1: but I'd categorize it the same way with the semiconductor, Stephen, which is we're making the right moves, we're investing the dollars, but these are lead times measured in years rather than months. So we're we're, we're building today, and we'll see the returns on that in 2023, 24, 25.
0: So keeping us rolling here, the sixth topic we, pick was, we picked was payment rails. I think... You know, you look at the visas, the Mastercards, the Discovers, the Amex. You know, once you go past Visa and Mastercard, there's a huge drop off. You then get to Amex, you then get to Discover. These guys are almost a sort of cartel and a stranglehold on the market. My my opinion only. Where do you see this? I I, I know you know I sort of track this space, and I'm very excited by some of the the sort of layer two lightning based. Uh, networks that I think are going to be disruptive. Where, where's your head at in this space? I,
1: I if I expect to be sitting here, Stephen, with you the beginning of January 2023, talking about how Visa and MasterCard still control all payments. So while, while I have enormous support for and very excited about work that's happening with stable coins and whatnot to settle payments using novel assets, the idea that we can do that faster, more secure, and the like, the infrastructure we're talking about switching over, when you go out to your your corner coffee shop or your grocery store, to be honest, that system works pretty well today. It took years and years and years to build. That network effect of the Visa net, of the MasterCard network, of having access to all the banks and all the cards and whatnot, that is very difficult to unwind regardless how promising anything coming up is so while i think they are making the right moves to look out for what's on the horizon it's not that they're that they they've they have the, the luxury of time for now to continue to invest in and reap the rewards of a massive network while staying involved with whatever's upcoming
0: we've also got to remember that those network effects I mean, that's the thing that's hard to replicate. When you talk about the market cap of Visa and Mastercard, you're talking almost a trillion dollar company. If you combine those two, you know they're not going to be easy to unseat, regardless of how interesting some of the underlying technologies of the disruptors looks.
1: And and think about the incentives. When when I go and swipe my card, I really like my two percent cash back or my airline miles or whatnot, and that is a while the, the the place I'm spending money doesn't really like it. Effectively, I'm taking money out of their pocket because they get paid 97 cents on the dollar and I get some percentage of that return as points back to me I can go spend. Good luck changing the consumer and telling the consumer, wake up tomorrow. You don't get your points, your rewards, your whatnot anymore. Yeah, yeah that, that's here. That's a really difficult uh, system to overturn. Now that said, Europe... And the rest of the world is actually in a slightly different situation they don't have the rewards points that we do in the us so perhaps more vulnerable to consumer shifting but again Mm -hmm. you really need to imagine a 10x better payment experience which while the, the 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 stable coins and whatnot are exciting today they're certainly not 10x better than what we have with just swipe your card and go
0: this is where jack dorsey's gonna spend his time over the next 10 years so Smart guy, focused on one thing rather than two. Going to be interesting to watch that space. We're moving ahead here. Topic number seven. I know something dear to your heart. You convinced me to do a two-part series on this. Um, I, I got on board and was very interested. Certainly, go and check out those two podcasts if you like the short summary we're going to we're going to cover here but digitization of paper and OCR, particularly in the banking space. I think some of the companies you mentioned in that podcast, we we recorded um, very interesting, um, well worth checking out. What's your view on digitization of paper as we look into 2022?
1: This is one, Stephen, where I think I've couched most of, of the other ones where we're investing, it's we have time, et cetera. This is one where to take Jeffrey Moore's into the tornado, the market has changed. So the digitization paper, this has been a five, 10-year effort by startups and, and more mature companies like Blend that have since gone public. Um, the, the robotic process automation space with automation everywhere, UiPath, alike. Steven, the like. Stephen, the COVID and the shutdown of the office life and the shutdown of in-person meetings has accelerated a long-term trend where a transition, a transformation for a big bank that had been planned over five years, six years, seven years has been rapidly accelerated and moved to the top of the priority list. This isn't just about customer experience. This isn't just about cost savings. This is about risk management for the bank. When you find out that key processes on your bank rely on paper and engaging face-to-face, and you wake up one day and find out You can't do face-to-face and you can't get pieces of paper. You've shifted the conversation away from it'd be nice to have to a need to have. And that's what drives transformational change. So for for folks building in this space, it is the, the next 12 to 24 months are going to be a land grab opportunity of build, build rapidly, ship rapidly, keep the clients happy, get the damn thing installed. Because once you do, that's going to be sitting there within the core infrastructure for the next 10, 20, 30 years, and you'll have the opportunity to continue to build new services on top. So if I flip that around from the VC side, if I'm looking at that as a venture capitalist, I'm going to throw money at the companies that are already winning in this space who can demonstrate that, one, they can ship to customers, and two, that they can retain those customers. Because I know I've got a long tail to make my money back on that.
0: So, well, the metaverse is five, ten years out. This is a more immediate, short-term, get it in, get it installed. And you're going to see the companies that are able to ship and get meaningful projects in market be successful. Is that the The, summary?
1: Correct. These guys have been building, Stephen, for the last five, ten years. Mm -hmm. The technology is there. The sales engines are there. The marketing engines are there. What they were waiting for is a market catalyst where all of a sudden somebody opens up the purse strings and goes, we need to do it now. Yep. So all of that is there. It's now about shipping.
0: Okay. So I, I completely agree with you there. I've got the unenviable task of keeping you on topic and this <laughs> trying to be 30 minutes. So let's go. We're doing okay. So let's keep going. NFTs is our topic number eight on our list today. I know you and I have... I'm the guy who loves everything new, thinks everything's going to be exciting. Bought four NFTs this year for for our listeners. Um, Don't know what I'm going to do with them. Don't have have them hanging on my wall yet. Um, Can't connect them to my Twitter account yet. But where do you see NFTs? Let me give you a little bit of my perspective. I think art is the fluff. I'm more interested in some of the um, use cases that we're going to see coming now that the technology is established. I'm a watch collector. Having guarantee paperwork for watches as NFTs that can move and be augmented with service history is a use case I'm really excited about. I think that would be, you know, instead of my little sort of guarantee card and service card that I get in the box getting those in the box, but also an NFT. Then if I go and get my watch serviced, it can be updated to reflect the service history. I can share that with my insurer. And when I sell the watch, I can transfer that NFT to somebody else. That's the type of use case I see. You know, car registration paperwork. I I think those are a ways away, but that's where I see this going. So I think art kind of gets it into the mainstream. Where's your perspective, Jared?
1: I, I think you nailed it, Stephen. The The only thing I would add is the moment we stop using the term NFT and we start talking about it as a ticket for the movies, as the warranty and traceability on your watch, the deed on the house, and just the digital version, that's when we'll know we've started to make it. But this is, I think you're spot on in your analysis, while the, the tech to go create a digital token that represents the deed on a house is easy, it's that underlying infrastructure of, okay, now you got to integrate that with the town hall. Now you got to make it back to that user experience easy for someone buying a house to use it. There's a huge amount of infrastructure that has to be built underneath that, that will be measured in many years to go build. Uh, Stephen, I'm 100% with you on this one.
0: I, I'm hoping that the concentration of the watch next to Crypto Valley in Switzerland, there's some mixture emerging there, considering some of the the age of some of these watch manufacturers. I, I think that would be an interesting space. So keeping us rolling here, moving out of NFTs, topic number nine, regulation in crypto markets. I think sit as both of us sit in New York, and our access to some of these new cutting-edge technologies, I think we both experienced, you know, I can't get strike in New York State, uh, you know, which was interesting for me as I tried to look into that technology. Where do you think we are? I think there's a lot to, to do in this space. I think regulators are starting to wake up to this space. I think they're starting to get educated. Where do you think we are?
1: I, it's a bit of an overstatement, but, but the SEC, the, the Securities Exchange Commission, has largely been asleep at the wheel here. That is, we have wild innovation in the crypto markets of what an asset can be. The idea that it, it can be partial ownership and partial governance, and I can also use it sort of as a currency to pay for things. It, it's an asset that we really haven't had before what makes that wild is Coinbase, largest U.S. exchange. They're a publicly listed company. They're not actually an exchange in the U.S., Stephen. They're not regulated by the SEC. And yet, without a question, there are assets that trade on there that look a heck of a lot, like stocks, like equity that falls right under the SEC's jurisdiction. Instead, the registered as a money services business, an MSB, that's a state-by-state regulatory apparatus, which means they have 50 different regulators, each telling them going to do something slightly different. Now, also critically there, Stephen, the regulations on MSBs are by no means robust enough. They were never meant to deal with a Coinbase. They were meant to deal with a Western union who's moving money from place to place, not a central exchange, and certainly not an entity like Coinbase where people are storing money long term in the form of cryptocurrency. They're meant for moving money, money transmitters. So it would shock me if we get to this point next year without meaningful change at the federal level from a regulatory standpoint. Now, I think it's, it's up in the air. Are we going to get a entirely new regime under an existing regulator? Perhaps. Are we going to get a mandate from Congress that the SEC and the CFTC and the like have to go cooperate? Perhaps. But the, uh, the my expectation is we are going to get meaningful legislation at the federal level that drives real change in how these markets are governed. And the place that's going to start, Stephen, is going to be with stable coins. We are not going to have every Tom, Dick, and Harry out on the street saying, hey, I've got this new thing that represents a dollar and please trust me, there are dollars left here. That is gonna get folded into regulations that we have today. That one I will make a prediction on. That looks most like the money market mutual funds. That's likely to get folded into the, the money market regulations or something closely akin to that which drastically uh, limits the assets that can back uh, the stablecoin, one. And two, I expect that we will get clear uh, bankruptcy rulings saying that if you own a stablecoin, in the event that the stablecoin issuer goes bankrupt, you get first in line to get your money back as opposed to the equity holders in the stablecoin issuer themselves. So we're going to come back
0: to CBDCs as our 10th uh, topic, but just want to ask you a specific question. I'm catching you out here. Where do you see New York regulation and the bit licence? With the don't... new mayor coming in, do you do, are you optimistic we're going to see New York step up its game from a regulatory perspective? Because I think they're behind and I think they're being burdensome on some of the companies that do want to, Be close to where the center of finance is for, you
1: know,
0: Web 2, if we want to call it that.
1: I don't expect meaningful change on the bit license, Stephen. New York is in a privileged position because it remains the financial center of the U.S. and, and for most assets, the world. As a result, New York gets to write regulations that are more restrictive. We can have taxes that are more onerous and the like. Now, incrementally, yes, this can eat away at New York's center as a financial power. But piece part, there's not a big incentive to change. What we've seen to date is the likes of Coinbase and Paxos and a lot of the big players regardless of their opinions of it they're all complying with it they've all signed up to deal with it and anyone who wants to get big also signs up to deal with it so there's not a massive incentive where i again i do expect meaningful changes the federal level if we got change at the federal level that may impact what new york does with the bit license but i do not expect new york to be the first mover so this
0: was always an optimistic uh, endeavor uh, we're thirty-three minutes in almost, and we're coming on our tenth topic: CBDC, central bank digital currencies. I picked up, you know, a little bit of tension around the likes of things like Tether in your last comment. You know, acting as a CBDC for the and US USDT, and you know, some of these what are purporting to be stable coins. I, I tend to agree with your opinion. I think there is long overdue regulation around the assets that should back these. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see other countries start to bring out CBDCs. I think China will probably launch theirs in 2022. Um, I have real concerns about programmable money in an authoritarian state, but that's just, I'm less about tracking and more about where they can dictate you spend the money, how you spend the money, time never mind
1: Never mind erasing you from online. You can wake up one day and they've simply seized all of your assets with the click of a button. I mean, that, Yeah, that, yeah. That's a programmable mind.
0: money has some real issues, and I, I'm going to be watching that space carefully. But where do you think we are on CBDCs?
1: So I, I expect that the market is is slowly starting to emerge, and, and slowly is appropriate. I mean, when we talk about reinventing the dollar or the euro or the yen, I mean this this is big stuff. It's it's right to go slow. Um, I expect two things to happen, Stephen, and then kind of a third that's that's a result. First thing I expect to happen, I expect us to see real pilots around wholesale CBDC. We see that already starting in Singapore. We we see that starting uh, in the UK in very early stages. Wholesale meaning it's not going to be you and me as consumers. It's going to be among financial institutions for moving monies among themselves and among the central bank. And the I expect to see
0: it, real Well What's interesting there for me, and I'm hopeful, is my home country, the UK, with the longest serving Currency out there on the market, the pound, I think a UK hub in London for finance post-Brexit, that's the biggest opportunity that the UK has to jump on CBDCs, make the pound the first big Western, because I think they'll be beaten to it by China, but make that the first big Western currency. It's small enough that it's not the dollar or the euro or the yen, but it's big enough and's got the history. So that that's a personal sort of hope and prediction that I hope the pound takes a leading position in this.
1: The second prediction here, Stephen, and and I I, I share your hope. I do not expect any sizable country with, with with a currency that's meaningful on the global scale to move ahead with a retail central bank digital currency meaning i do not expect you and me to hold some digital version of an account on a central bank's balance sheet that is such a drastic shift from how we operate today the amount of change that would drive it would fundamentally undermine how we do banking for instance today so that would be that would be a massive shift i do not expect it but where i would come back around with the wholesale is i expect Exactly, your concerns. The what does it mean to have programmable money to come into the forefront of the discussion here? Because the moment we get meaningful pilots around actual digital money that is government backed, it's going to drive a privacy conversation. It's going to drive uh, how you do, how do you levy taxes conversation for authoritative countries? It's going to drive what does it mean to have, in the case of China, a social score and now tied to your money, it's going to drive very uncomfortable conversations that we have to have if we're going to have any chance of success with digital money.
0: Yeah, I think privacy is the lead off issue. I think when people realize what programmable money means from a state regulation and oversight perspective, I think that's gonna move to the forefront. Knowing where you spend your money is one scary topic. Being told how to spend your money is a very different scary topic for me. So as I said, we rattled through 10 topics. I know Jared had at least three others that we didn't cover today. Next year. Next year we'll make those subjects of the the newsletter. You've been listening to the Fat-Tailed Thoughts podcast. Where we've covered our predictions and thoughts ahead for 2022 my name's stephen dickens you can find me at stephen dickens 3 on twitter jared is cleebeard beard on twitter uh, please engage if you've liked the first 10 episodes of the fast tale thoughts podcast please tell your friends share and like the podcast and and ideally um subscribe we're also on youtube we've got a twitter id We're trying to blow this up in 2022. So get engaged and we'll see you for a next episode next week. Thank you very much for listening. And you've been listening to the Fat-Tailed Thoughts podcast.